welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday or Tuesday or whenever, because after all, it's your podcast. Um, joining me today, and I said I'd try and do this in all breath, so here we go. <gasps> From Metafactory Games, talking about my fantastic factories, I've got Joseph Z. Chen. Hey, Joseph. Hey, I did that in one breath. Me. I've actually got, still got plenty of breath left. I could probably keep talking for a little bit more. Yeah, one um, take. There you go. Or maybe the tenth take. They maybe just yeah, exactly. Nobody knows if we edit. You know, we never edit. Um, so it's all good. But thank you for coming on. Yeah, it's, a pleasure. it's great to be here. Um, you are in the middle of um, your Kickstarter campaign for Fantastic Factories, which has only been going really a matter of days. Yeah, but yeah, it's one day in three hours, I guess. <laughs> you got you got a little time. No one's, no one's counting. You know? <laughs> it's not like you're sitting at the computer constantly f fiving and <laughs> waiting to see what's kind of happening. Let's see what's happening next. Um, I guess we better kind of do the admin stuff for people who are listening for the first time. Thank you for joining us. Um, if you look in the green room today, we have a range of... We've gone quite healthy, so we've got fruit salad here. We've got some smoothies. And we have some oat cakes for somebody who wants to go a bit savoury. Um, and it's all there, so just help yourself. The reason that we do this is because we wholeheartedly believe that there's quite simply there's not enough podcasts out there about board games. And the other reason that we do this is because this is what we call a quick start on the kickstart. And this, what we do in a quick start and a kickstart is somebody will have a current campaign that's running out there and we get them on to have a chat so they can tell us a little bit about themselves, a little bit about the hobby and its influences on themselves and how they've influenced the hobby. And then they can talk a little bit about their project. So um, what we want to do is we want to find out a little bit about your history, Joseph. So we're going to have a, I guess we're going to have a stare at the production of the past before we look at the assembly of the present, before we jet off into the dispatch of the future. So do you want wow. to... <laughs> Did you write that down? That seems very... No, no, it's all, it's Just... off the cuff. Wow. Well, very impressive. It's, uh, yeah, so I got into hobby gaming right after college Kind of the same way a lot of people do, just playing Catan, Dominion, Seven Wonders, kind of had roommates at the time, and yeah. it was just something that we we ended up doing a lot of, um, to the point that we were actually quite obsessed with some of these games, and I think uh, for Catan, we actually spent some nights where we would actually just set up the board, and yeah. we, would, we would analyze, we would discuss, just this, uh, my friend Dante and I would just talk about where would everyone place their initial settlements? And we would kind of figure out what we would do, and then we would then break it all down and set it all up again with a new board and kind of reanalyze. Anyways, so we kind of... <laughs> no, 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 you can't. You don't get away with saying that then. So was it like chess? Well, we weren't playing against each other. We were simply like... We, you know, we had different perspectives on what we thought was optimal play, and we would try to kind of give the pros and cons, like what does this placement do? Like these resources or access to that port or positioning and kind of like min-maxing what the initial placement 
would look like because it's a pretty big decision in yeah. Bhutan. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> possibly one of the most important decisions you can make. So we're just curious about like, what would the optimal play look like? And I think we were just kind of a little obsessive like that in terms of like how to best play a game. And, you know, back then I feel like, you know, the cult of the new that wasn't such a thing. Kickstarter was still kind of like growing, yeah. uh, you know, in popularity. And, you know, it's unimaginable now, but, you know, we play the same game over and over again, you know, 10, 20, 30 times. Did you, have, so did you go as far as notebooks then? Did you actually start to no, write stuff down? No, we did not do notebooks. I think that would require like some actual like you know like organization and effort. I suppose <laughs> <laughs> you know uh, we were just doing it for fun. So, I mean, did you come up with kind of like several? Was there several kind of Ottoman strategies? Because it's all the thing about Catan. I guess it's always comes down to into the dice because it's kind of like. It, that's the biggest bugbear with me in Catan. That I've always went. I'm going to start off really, really strongly, and then I'm going to roll absolute garbage. Yeah, every single time I play, huge amount of variance. I think that's part of why it appeals to to a lot of more casual hobby gamers. You know, yeah. there's there's always a chance. You know, even if you don't play optimally, you don't get the places you want. You still might roll well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So did you uh, did you continue yep. with that? Did you go into Kind of was Catan kind of like your gateway stuff? Did you did you continue with the co- the the hobby, kind of after kind of college? Was that you kind of involved in the hobby, or were you, or did you kind of like do what a lot of folk did, which was take a break and then dive back into it at a later time? A little bit, I think we did start with Catan. We went through kind of a Dominion phase, and then Seven Wonders, and then eventually I ended up kind of my own place. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, I think may have backed off of board games a little bit. It was always something that you kind of get together once in a while. Yeah, but I can't say I didn't play like every week like I had back then. Um, and then, uh, so this kind of group of friends of uh, about four people, we were looking for kind of a new project to tackle. And we were kind of reliving kind of those glory days of like, oh, remember those board games we played, you know, why, why don't we try to make one? It seems like it should be something we can do. It's yeah. just some pen and paper, cardboard, very doable. So we tried our, tried our hand at it and we kind of brought back a lot of those mechanics from those games that we've enjoyed in the past and tried to roll it all into one uh perfect game which by the way there's nothing no such thing as a perfect game (laughs) but that's something that we didn't quite realize at the time but anyways we we each actually we decided as a group like what mechanics we wanted in the game and Mm. i guess we did kind of mechanics first driven design and we we said okay let's meet back next week we'll each work on our prototype and we did that we came back and we we played, and as you can imagine, uh, the prototypes were pretty broken and not not great. But the <laughs> the the one that I came up with, I felt like it had some legs. So I continued to work on it week over week, and we met every week. And eventually, my prototype was the only one we were really playing. 
and it just kind of one thing led to another and you know it's one of those things where you you start off with a project you don't think about where it's going because the point is just to you know participate in this activity with your friends you know a group of friends and we're in thinking oh we'll publish it we'll bring it to kickstarter we'll try to get on retail stores and things like that and it's just one step at a time and but once we knew that people enjoy playing the game and we kind of we're always thinking what's the next step what's the next step and yeah yeah before you know it where here we are it's like um when you get people that get a hunk of a shell of a car and they spend like the next some people will spend 25 years just tinkering away at the car and you know they'll go into the garage and it'll be something that they'll spend every sunday doing <coughs> and eventually it'll be something that they spend every second sunday doing and then Eventually, there'll be the case of, I really need to get rid of this hunk of junk because nothing's going for it. And then there'll be somebody else that'll do it and they'll have it up and running within about, you know, a couple of years and it'll be out in the road and they'll be racing the thing and everything, you know, kind of everything <laughs> like that. I think that's the same with board games. I think there's probably, you know, there's probably, what, 5% of people that actually take it to some kind of prototype level. And I think there's a vast number of people that have got notebooks and sticky you know, sticky notes and kind of the occasional meeple and dice that they've maybe stolen from a couple of other couple of other games. I mean, did you, I mean, have you, what's your kind of your collection like? I mean, is there is there a kind of a specific kind of mechanic? I mean, you mentioned obviously the cult of the shiny and new. So have you, have you been, have, do you keep up with that? Do you have quite an extensive collection yourself in terms of the, in terms of games? My actual collection is actually pretty small because I, it's challenging for me these days to consistently get games to the table. Uh, my so I recent my kid is now a year and a half, and oh, right. okay. you know, with a with a kind of a baby or a toddler, it can be challenging to play board games. And in particular, my wife actually doesn't like board games either, so it's <laughs> twice as challenging in the way. But you know, it's. So I actually keep a very kind of small, curated, I guess medium kind of size collection of games that I I know that I'll be able to get on the table. So it's kind of this mix of like favorite Euro type games and then actually a lot of party and filler games because I know those are the kinds that you can bust out yeah. a lot e- more easily. Yeah. And, I, you know, I like teaching games to other people i like being able to play with people that aren't necessarily hobby gamers but you know it's great to be able to go to like a convention where you've got tons of hobby gamers around you but the thing is everyone else has huge collections so which is great for me so i can when it does come time to you know sit down at a table dedicating night to playing oftentimes i'll be playing someone else's games so how many? I mean, mo, I mean, medium-sized collection, because I was listening. What was I? Who was I listening to? I was listening to Polyhedron, Polyhedron Collider, who were talking about one of the people from the Secret Cabal <coughs> podcast, who were saying they had in the region of eight hundred and fifty games, and I just like my jaw just hit the floor when I heard. I just like, well, how how could you even do that? But how many? I mean, how many games do you have? Is it less than fifty? So. The thing about filler games is they're very small. 
So I think <laughs> that you know, quantity wise, might not be might not be the best measure. I'll, I'll to give you a sense of how many games I have. I have, you know, everyone uses those IKEA shelves, right? Yeah, Calax. Yeah, yeah. So I have a. Yeah. I think this is actually pretty small by most people's standards. I have a two by four Calax, so not even the full one. Right. Okay. And all my board games either fit inside or on top of that. But you said on top, so that suggests it's more. Than... Okay. Him. Well, okay. They can, they can, oh, except for except for Max versus Minions, all of them can fit okay. inside. Okay. So <laughs> some some games just do? don't fit inside. So yeah. That's, so I think it's a pretty small amount in terms of actual quantity. Maybe fifty might be around that number. That's actually quite. Yeah, that is a small. I mean, that's in terrible. terms of actual like bigger boxes, like you know, like a Catan or a Sagrada, type, anything with like a you know telescoping box. I mean, I've got maybe like. 20 maybe it's hard to say that is that's very well curated then i bet you've played them all as well haven't you no (laughs) well here's the thing you know uh designing games now there is kind of that cult in you a little bit and yeah keeping up with kickstarter trends and you you start knowing a lot of designers and you start backing a lot of kickstarters yeah and somehow i don't know how it happened i ended up i'm now in both you know it's one it's like do you wear it as a badge of pride or or a, a, an embarrassing thing that you kind of hate to admit that you're a kickstarter super backer you're a super backer you yeah know, and but so you know the level you have to be a super backer so if you're saying you've got 50 games I don't know where I don't know what it is. Maybe they're just all in the mail, just on the way to me right now. <laughs> You're just I, gonna I'm wake up sure. tomorrow morning. You're just gonna be a truck kind of back. Beep beep <laughs> beep. Bring it up, Joe. <laughs> so I've just, got a bunch, and and a lot from like uh, local designers I know yeah. and like the support. And and the thing is, while they've been designing the game, I've actually played a lot of those games like many times, and so. By the time it actually comes in the mail, you know, it's like, oh, I've played this game a lot of times. And, and sometimes it takes a while before I, I, I bust it out again because yeah. I've already played it so many times. Have you um, played through Mechs versus Minions? Then? Have you managed to get all the way through that? <laughs> so <laughs> if we're talking about Shelf of Shame, that is definitely the feature, <laughs> featured game. So like my water feature in my garden. What's yeah, that? it's mixed versus it's huge, minions. right? Was it was it play like? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I bought it on the first print run when they first announced it. Really, the very, f- I and it's been sitting on my shelf for a couple of years now. It's it's this mix of things where like oh well, it's, it feels like a full experience. I want like the right group, you know, and <laughs> I, I think shortly after I bought the game, yeah. So I, I had four people in mind. Yeah. I bought the game, and then three of us had babies. So there's that. There is that. <laughs> so it's next to impossible to assemble that group now. That's just. I'm hoping yeah. that after we're done with Charterstone, we can we can uh, get that to the table next. It, so you're actually saying you've not played it then, basically. I have not. No. It's a delight. I've heard good things. Oh, I love it. I love it. I don't think I have ever... I have 
I got in trouble for a while because I kept on mentioning Mechs versus Minions and folks said don't mention Mechs versus Minions again because people will think you're sponsored by the company that makes it and I said I wish. So I mentioned it for a while to see if they'd sponsor me and they didn't. So I stopped mentioning it because it was getting embarrassing how often I was mentioning it. But in terms of play, teaching somebody how to play a game, it has got it so right on how it teaches you the basic mechanics and how to play the game. I've not seen a game that does it better. I think it's because they're a video game company. Yeah. You know, and it's funny to see the difference between video games and board games. In video games, you don't have an instruction manual. No one ever reads an instruction manual for a video game. No, You could just have a tutorial and it teaches you how to play, but in board games, somehow everyone's expected to read a manual, which is this weird stark contrast between the two. Yeah, and, and that's that's why it works. I mean, that's why it works so well because you are playing through, and you'll find this out when you play it. Um, and it works well with two players. You don't need the four, Joseph. I'm just saying. Oh, hmm. that's good to know. Because I played, I played it with my son, and we bust through about four, three or four campaigns in an evening, and and we got lucky, and we won a lot of campaigns. But playing the whole thing, oh, you're, I'm so jealous because you are gonna, you're gonna have that wonderful kind of oh this really works and this is easy to play and i'm just kind of getting through it and it's you know i'm quite a bit kind of jealous either that or you could just hold on to it and wait until its market value kind of <laughs> increases <laughs> in the, and then kind of you know sell it because let's face it you've got a one and a half year old and do you know what you know what i know something see kids shoes as they get older they're really expensive i'm just saying they get <laughs> they get really really expensive kids shoes do um, so yeah, kind of bear that in mind. But um, I mean, in terms of you, so you you, re- you said you kind of reduced the amount of stuff that you have a chance to play. So has that made you? Would that make you kind of in turn kind of concentrate on? I take it, Fantastic Factories was this prototype game that you kind of kept playing within the group itself. Yeah, it's it's interesting as a designer. <clears throat> you actually spend a lot of time, you know, playtesting your own game, but also playtesting a lot of other designers' games. And so actually playing a published game can sometimes be a little little bit of a treat. Yeah. And it's funny also that I've been experimenting with all these different size boxes for my game. And uh, half the boxes that are showing on top of the show... <laughs> shelves are actually all these different size and shapes and designs of fantastic factories boxes yeah and so it looks like i own like a bunch of copies i just all the only game apparently i look like i play is this fantastic factories so it's just <laughs> boxes and boxes most of them are empty but like you know it's it's kind of a, a little bit of a mess in that sense is that is that because do you know i, I don't know I, I got told by who was i speaking to i was speaking to one free elephant and they said that one of the um, one of the bits of feedback that they got about their games that they've released is somebody says, "Oh, you need to put them in bigger boxes because bigger boxes kind of make people want to pick it up because it is such a bigger box." And they said, "Well, their idea was instead was to be sick of being told that, so they put their next game, which they're going to be bringing out. I think it's called Microbrew, in one of those mint tins <laughs> that you get <laughs> instead." But I've seen was I've. Um, 
But I've seen that. I mean, was that a decision? Was that a decision to see, well, does it fit in the box or do I want something that's kind of like got a presence instead? Yeah, so that's interesting. And a lot of the what you see in our industry is almost at odds with each other. So if you think about like an indie publisher like me, uh, the, usually the viable way to get your game to the market is through Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, but the kind of long tail and the long term solution of kind of where you want to be is in retail stores. And those two goals can sometimes fight with each other in the sense that like it is true in a retail store, you want a box that's bigger because it conveys value regardless of what's actually in the box. Yeah. Whereas in Kickstarter, realistically, people actually like small footprint boxes. And in Kickstarter, you don't have a physical box that you're picking up. So you don't that's less of a selling point and in fact it's actually better if you have a smaller box because then you could ship it for a lot less uh and so this it's this interesting mix of like well kickstarter you want small boxes for retail you want big boxes yeah and ideally you can catapult your kickstarter into retail sales which means that if you're going to do that then you probably want a large-ish box from the get-go um so it's kind of an interesting challenge, and, and a lot of games publishers have carved out a niche where they do small box games, like Tiny Epic Galaxies and whatever. They Their whole selling point is a tiny box, a big game in a tiny box. And Yeah. You know, it's, it's great that Kickstarter kind of enables these kind of niches to be carved out by publishers. Yeah. Where people who are actually looking for small boxes that don't buy into this whole, like, big box conveys value type thing yeah and it's obviously there's the cost the cost implications but you never tell i mean one of the, i guess one of the things that i never you never really see on a campaign is this is the potential size of the box because there was a game what was it i've seen um they're saying a game called no honor among thieves and it was almost like in a it was almost like a a, a kind of a, an oblong box it was quite tall. It wasn't. I was expecting something. You know, your long, standard, kind of standard, flat, almost kind of square box size, and this thing came in like some kind of oblong box. Instead, it was quite surprising. It was quite unusual, and it actually enticed me to have a look inside to see kind of what was different than the kind of the other kind of Kickstarter stuff that that kind of came along. Um, wh- how long did you work on Fantastic Factories before you went right? Okay, this is it. Let's go and. Let's go and see what happens with this. And 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 did you, because you've been hanging around with a lot more designers, did you did you were you getting a kind of a lot of support through them? Did they help you make the decision on when the best time to launch would be? Uh, yeah, definitely. It's I'll tell you kind of how the idea evolved to what it is now. Yeah, yeah. You know, in terms of. Like what? What are our goals with the game design? You know, and I think our first really reaction to that once we knew we had a game that we our goal was to kind of just share it with as many people as possible. You know, make a product that that people want to play, get it in as many hands as possible. And initially, what we were doing is actually seeking out a publisher because we figured as no-name designers or, or someone with no publishing track record, you know, the best way to get your game 
into as many people's hands as possible is find a reputable publisher that will that already has this audience and these connections. Yeah. But the thing is, Fantastic Factory has uh, has been kind of designed as a kind of a entire experience in the sense that the graphic design, the ph- design philosophy, both in the simplicity of the mechanics and the graphic design on the cards and the art style. It's all about kind of this approachable, fun, whimsical uh, kind of theme. And as I was talking to the publishers, and, and it's also a, just a creative endeavor for us. I think a lot of it is this creative outlet for a, for the team. And just in terms of we wanted to make this game because we wanted to make something. You yeah. Know, create something that we could kind of, in a way, call our own. And as we were talking to publishers... And as as most publishers will do, the, they had some changes they wanted to make. You know, in terms of how the mechanics, the art style, and all these things. And the more we kind of were talking to publishers, the more we realized that if we signed on with one, that we would probably have some kind of regret in terms of like some kind of compromise we would have to make uh, in, in terms of because once publishers sign the game, they kind of have ultimate say over how the game will be, what components there are, and all these things. So there's this kind of turning point where we decide, so decided, okay, you know what, we're we're gonna self-publish. That way we can, you know, manufacture the game as we envisioned it, as yeah. we kind of believe it should be. And it's, that's not to say that we didn't take any feedback from anyone else. You know, we've been. The, you know, listening to a lot of the feedback, especially from those publishers as well, because they had a lot of valid concerns in terms of the mechanics and other component costs, things like that. And we actually learned a lot of valuable information from them in terms of how to approach the game as a product from a publisher standpoint. Because before then, we were kind of designers. You know, we were thinking, well, let's design a game. But now we have to think about things like the box size, yeah. components, all these things. Um, I'm trying to remember what your original question was. That's fine. There are no questions, <laughs> Joseph. There's only chat. So <laughs> I just find this whole... I, I find the whole kind of journey from where people kind of get to having the original, the original kind of boxes and, and white pieces of paper and kind of markers and stuff to where they actually have kind of like a full... I kind of like a full, a full kind of game. Always uh-huh. fascinating because everybody has like a, a totally different way that they're kind of dealing with stuff. So, was it important? I mean, this sounds like it was important to you to kind of not compromise on the original vision that you had for the game. I mean, this. I mean, it sounds like it was really, really important that when people were playing Fantastic Factories that. It was the original game that you had been putting together, and it wasn't a case that it had been the art had been changed, or there was less dice, or there was more dice, or things mm-hmm. like that. And I think part of it is because it's not a purely business transaction for us. You know, as yeah. the first our first project, it's it's a labor of love. You know, we took about two and a half years to develop and market and kind of do the art and all these things. And it's, you know, not something we're doing just for, you know, for to make money. We're there to make the best game we can and in the way that we think will be 
the best experience for the players. And I think that a lot of publishers probably have similar goals, but they've always got kind of this bottom line they have to worry about as well. And a certain timeline, a certain amount of, you know, they can't dedicate as much time and care with every game as, you know, my co-designer and I have probably dedicated towards Fantastic Factories. Yeah. It's it's probably not not a good way to run a business, but it's a great way to make a game, I think. And for us, it's not a not something that we're necessarily looking to do like full time. You know, it's something that we do, you know, because we love doing it. And uh, you've seen, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think the practicalities of building a board game is you don't build a board game, I guess, a, a board game career on the back of one game, unless you're, I mean, even if you're lucky enough to kind of catch the lightning in the bottle, which we see, all these people that have got like, you know, six figure kind of Kickstarters and you're sitting there kind of thinking, oh, actually, um, they've made enough money to make the game, but they've not made any money to actually be able to say, right, I'm going to quit my work. <laughs> I've still got bills to pay and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it's funny. These people have asked me that question. Like, oh, like, you know, like, oh, you're going to quit your day job, whatever. And I think anyone who's kind of, you know, been in the industry watching kickstarters and learning about other people's you know know that you can't really quit your job off of one game you know you you have to do this kind of thing over and over again and especially as a software engineer uh you know right now software engineers are paid pretty well and i i enjoy doing coding and programming all that stuff so that's not something that I'm looking to necessarily replace. And so we were talking about like how much funding would the game have to be for us to even consider, you know, quitting our day jobs. And it's, it's just an astronomical amount. Yeah. You know, you, you kind of have to have a few good games under your belt, get into retail and all these things. Yeah. You look at like you look at Jamie Stegmaier, for instance, he's like the, the pinnacle of what, you know, people want to do in terms of Kickstarter. But you know, he's his. If you look at his company, I I, th- I believe he's the only full time person working at his company, and he's still kind of just. I mean, he's had great industry success, but I wouldn't say that he's necessarily like swimming in money either. No, I don't think he goes. He's not going about going dollar dollar bill, y'all. Yeah, <laughs> he's not going to. Pay them. His company's still very small. You know, it's just one yeah. full time employee and a few part time. You know. And it's one of those things that people see these dollar signs and the, these Kickstarter campaigns, but they, like you raised like, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in, in like three weeks. Well, they, what they don't see is the, the two years of development <laughs> behind it. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not a hundred thousand in, in, uh, three weeks, a hundred thousand in two years, which yeah. then, then you split that between two years and you split that between everyone on the team suddenly. And then you have to, of course, actually pay for the manufacturing of the game suddenly no one's really making all that much money at all yeah and the other side of it is you're you're forgetting about the the the, the, probably the five or ten grand that you've put into the game over those two years before and buying Mm -hmm. art for things and getting your prototypes together and doing all the traveling and going to shows and, and and things like that i think um yeah going back to my question was have you found kind of knowing 
in getting to know game designers, did that help with the kind of the Kickstarter campaign? Where that you know, is there people that have kind of given you help, given you advice as you've made your step towards kind of pressing the button? Definitely, like a hundred percent or hundred 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 ten percent definitely. Like it you it's impossible pretty much to make a good board game in isolation. You know, you need yeah. you need playtesters, you need other people in the community. It's what's great is other people have blazed this path before us, you know. Uh like like I said, Jamie Stegmaier, James Matthew, all these people have written about the Kickstarter process, specifically about tabletop. There are so many Facebook groups and forums that and and the twi- and Twitter Twitter is amazing space to connect with other designers content creators and it's kind of this really welcoming community of people who are just willing to support each other and kind of signal boost and tell everyone about your game and you know on like it's really quite amazing especially now on to day two of the campaign uh I did not think that so many people would show up for the campaign. So we're day day two. We funded in five hours. We're now at over 200% funded. And, you know, I looked at our audience, you know, our mailing list size, the amount of followers and on Twitter and likes on Facebook. And, like, the numbers don't seem to quite make sense. <laughs> be honest i'm like who are these people where are they coming from and i think a lot of it comes from this network of people that you've connected with you know designers influencers content creators that when you've connected with them in a really meaningful way they're willing to lend their voice to you and talk to their crowd their network and it's just kind of this expanding effect of people hearing about the game and it's really quite amazing and you know that's the thing about i i would say the biggest takeaway about designing a board game was that you know you get into it thinking you're making this game for you and your friends and then the next level is oh i'm going to be making this game for all these other people and then for at least for me what's kind of overtaken that almost that entire passion is just being part of this community you know i discovered this almost like subculture of like board game designers board game creators content you know reviewers all this stuff and uh i know it's just amazing to be part of all this being part of something bigger and all these people who are just have this positive outlook and positive attitude about everything um i don't know if you've seen the kickstarter video for my campaign it's it's a little different than others it's kind of this uh so this friend that kind of met along the way um christian kang his youtube channel take your chits yep uh, uh yeah yeah he's the guy that he tweets the same thing every day which is the, today is the day i start to work out yep <laughs> that's the guy <laughs> um so like he offered to do the video for us and we we're actually we were trying to pay him but then he just i don't know he the video he produced was just kind of him like talking glowingly about the game and you know it's kind of an honest heartfelt sort of thing and he felt very connected to us as part of the community and you know we ended up not taking any payment for the video at all um in order for it to be kind of this like pure message if that makes sense and i think 
it kind of like highlights what I think the whole board game community is about, you know, in terms of helping each other out and connecting in different ways. It's, it's in, back to this kind of difference between board games and video games. Um, most board games require you to play with other players and you have to play with them face to face. Yeah. So I think that's, that's amazing that it's makes it, I guess, harder for things to go viral and, and grow as large as say the video game industry. But I think the connections you make between play, people, players and people you meet at conventions, it just makes those connections that much more impactful, more meaningful. Yeah. I mean, how did you, how did you feel when you press the button and then the numbers are climbing because your goal was about it's just over fifteen thousand dollars yeah and you said you as you said you funded within five hours i mean was it was it kind of an overwhelming experience were you expecting did you kind of set in your mind okay i've done my calculations we're doing the we're doing the kind of the calculations on a daily basis so if we hit four thousand dollars in the first day then that's a good start because then if there's an actual tail off in the middle, if we're hitting an average of five hundred, you know, five an additional five hundred dollars a day, then that means that we're gonna fund and we could potentially hit quite a few stretch goals. I mean, how did you what how do you feel when like this is just going it's rocketing and you're seeing it go ding 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 because you're almost at a thousand backers just now. So how, how what were you like when you was like it gets to hour four and you're like were you thinking oh my goodness this is going to fund? <laughs> well, it's you know interesting having spent like two and a half our years like doing this. We we definitely had some some hopes that you know people would t- turn up, and I think that it you know we also didn't want to get our hopes up too much, right? Yeah. So we were kind of tempering our 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 expectations. I think internally we kind of had this, a certain number in mind that we would we hit that point. We'd be pretty happy, kind of, you know, satisfied. We would felt like, we'd feel like we hadn't been wasting the last, you know, two years of our lives. And then there's kind of this sky in the pie in the sky kind of number we're, we're hoping for. And honestly, I think it's kind of exceeded all my expectations. Uh, and, to answer your question about kind of seeing these numbers um, kind of stream in, it's it is kind of crazy because uh, we actually have quite a bit of a checklist. You know, once we hit the launch button, it wasn't a matter of watching the numbers because yeah. for me, I actually had a huge list of like things I needed to do in terms of like making things are squared away, marketing efforts, little small things that. Um, you know, hopefully move the needle. Like we're we're adding the the Kickstarter link to our website, uh, updating our Facebook profile pictures to kind of tell our friends and family that you know we're our Kickstarter is live, things like that. And I actually spent the next few hours doing that, responding to the comments, messages, and things like that. And I actually mostly only heard about the funding amount through people telling it to me. They're like, oh wow, you guys are at whatever, whatever, and like, oh, that you know, I haven't had a chance to take a look, you know, and uh, it's crazy because we, I mean, now I'm having have a little bit of time to take a look, but it's still a matter of catching up with all those messages and figuring out 
what the I mean we have a list of stretch goals but the stretch goal graphic itself is something that I'm working I, f- I figured I would have time to work on during the campaign but apparently you gotta change it all I, now. I gotta like keep up with it and like oh my friend's like oh looks like you gotta update the stretch goal graphic again um so just trying to keep up with that um and it's it's been a whirlwind you know but uh really exciting so far what does your wife think of it i mean being a non-board gamer is she just like what does this mean joseph tell me what does this what does this mean (laughs) she's super supportive because she knows like that's some it's my you know like my passion the thing she knows that i've She's also invested a lot of time in this in the sense that, you know, I'll go off and go to a playtesting event and she'll have to watch the kid, you know. Yeah. And so she's put in, you know, a lot of hours as well in terms of supporting me and allowing me to do the things I need to do in order to get the game off the ground. Um, and it's actually a little, a little cute because she's like, oh, I'm sorry, I don't have a a Kickstarter launch day gift for you. I'm like, what is, what is, what is that? <laughs> I'm like, she, she felt like she was obligated to like gift me something for the Kickstarter launch day. Like it was like uh, a wedding or something, you know, <laughs> here's your, here's your launch gift. You know, I don't know. Anyways, I told her <laughs> you definitely not necessary. You, everything you've done so far already has been, you know, amazing. And just, I asked for, you know, support and all that stuff. And even during the campaign, there's going to be a lot of kind of marketing efforts. I'm going to be hitting up a lot of local game stores to demo the game and doing things like recording this podcast and just talking with as many people as possible. It's just, but I mean, you've obviously done, you've done the talking and the walking because if you look at the number of kind of people that have, talked about the game you know you've i'm looking at you know you got your list you've got like uh you've got britney bow you've got tony miller um <clears throat> you got tantrum house on there you know you've got a whole pile of people that seem to have you know um christy from uh was it peace love games she's done you know they've all done kind of various different things and they all seem to have very very kind of positive messages i mean was it was that being from a des- design point of view and going into the marketing was that a kind of a baptism of fire having to then say well listen we we need to get the name we need to get the name out here now as well yeah somehow that transition kind of happened easier than i thought it would and i think it just depends on the kind of person you might be but for me i found that meeting these new people and and you know some of them are very eager to meet you depending on how much history or hype they've heard about your game and I guess I found it a little, a little addicting, like, like, especially on Twitter, you know, like, you know, this person, and then like, you end up following this person, and you, you like all their tweets and whatever. And then, and then you actually get to meet them in person. And it's like, hey, you know, you're that person I've interacted with all, for all these months. Yeah, and I get to finally meet you. And so yeah. it's just it's almost it builds up anticipation and these people have like heard about my game like oh i've heard so much about your game let's let's play it let's try it you know and you know some people they they call it influencer marketing or whatever and you know to a certain extent 
I do like reach out and try to meet these people, but genuinely I just, I actually want to meet these people and just like hang out with them and, you know, play games and, you know, and, and it really helps when, you know, the two goals kind of align, you know, like it's when I'm not just doing it just to like get the game in their hands so they can like, you know, market it for me or something like that. It, it's just kind of this, like I say, it comes back to this community and being feeling connected to uh, the board game community, and it's it's something that I find really rewarding and, and exciting. And you know, when it comes time for other publishers or creators, designers pushing their projects, I've always been more than happy to support them, both you know through marketing efforts and backing their projects and whatnot. Do you know what we've not done? <laughs> I do this all the time. <laughs> we haven't actually talked about the game itself, right? We've not actually, no. No, I think this is a personal best to get almost almost 50 minutes into a chat and not actually talk about the reason that we should. But look, there's so many other people that have done content that have been talking about your game. They've done videos and stuff like that. But true. in a nutshell... I'm fascinated by this game, and I'll tell you why. Because there was a game that came out about three, four years ago now um, called Steampunk Rally, which was here you chuck dice and you used the dice to build an engine which gave you resources which allowed you to mm. race around a track. Love that game. It's a favourite of mine. So when I saw this, um, it's... It's a dice place. It's a dice placement engine building game. Joseph, what's it about? What's the message? <laughs> well, sure. Fantastic Factories, as you mentioned, is a dice placement engine building game. So you're trying to build the most efficient set of factories in order to manufacture as many goods as possible. So you're trying to figure out all these different blueprints, which ones to build. They have these kind of inputs and outputs. Uh, some some factories will require certain dice rolls. So you're going to be rolling your dice and using your dice as workers to place in these different factories and also the starting player board that you have. And different factories require different workers. So one requires like maybe a matching pair or maybe yeah. a specific value. And then there's also these training facilities that you can build to con- to train your workers and manipulate your dice rolls. So it's this combination, this discovery of engine, this engine building discovery aspect, and also this puzzle solving uh, thing where you are trying to figure out where all your workers go in order to maximize the amount of resources and goods that you're manufacturing. And it's, um, you can solo play it. Yeah. So there, it's, it's a game that is very... Uh, focused on kind of your own personal tableau and building out your own tableau and like i said that puzzle solving aspect and i think a lot of kind of puzzle solving games lend itself very well to solo play yeah so it seemed like a very natural thing to add into the game and it's actually quite nice for to go through the solo game to kind of play test the balance of various cards as well so you in the solo game you actually play against a very basic AI. And one of the things about like AIs, um, there's a few different kinds of solo games, right? There's the, the the easiest implementation of a solo game is just kind of beat your score sort of thing, right? What's your high score? 
and I find those are those are okay, but they're kind of they don't feel like you're necessarily playing the game against other players. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I wanted kind of this sense of like you're competing against someone else, and this this kind of tension of like being able to outrace this opponent. But at the same time, you don't want the AI to be this this massive like decision tree of things that you have to manage in order for the AI to emulate a player. So it's kind of about um, approximating what a player would do in order to effectively emulate an opponent. And so that's kind of what the AI does here. You actually roll a number of dice, which then you can easily match up the dice. So one, the, the green die matches up with a particular action that the the AI will take is simply picking a card out of the marketplace and building that piece of the engine. And yeah. rather than specifically running actual factories, um, you just kind of group up the factories by their type. And the dice rolls will determine whether the AI will actually manufacture goods or not that turn based on how much of their engine they've built out in terms of just sheer quantity of cards in that category. So I think it's a really streamlined AI where it and it approximates kind of the impact of a player in terms of choosing cards out of the marketplace and building up the momentum in this engine. I mean, did was the decision to go down I mean to go down this line because it looks fantastic. So I mean, there's not. I've not seen anything kind of like this. I can't remember the last time I've seen something like this, and I do look at Kickstarter quite a lot. I mean, are you are you kind of sitting there going, "We've what kind of we've we've got a good game, but we've launched at the right time because there's not there's not a direct there doesn't seem to be a lot of direct competition at the moment. You know, it seems to you've kind of inspired people to say, "Well, this looks exciting. This looks different." Do you? Th- I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but do you think people seeing one miniature game after another, there's a little bit of maybe fatigue that when something like, you know, then something like your game kind of comes up, it's almost like there's a little bit of freshness. You know, here's your, you know, you've got normal lemonade, but look, here's lemonade with a little twist of lime in it and a lovely straw kind of thing. And people are like, oh, their little ears are pricking up and they're more kind of excited about it. Do you think that's kind of maybe one of the reasons that it's, it's kind of doing what it's doing just now? I think it's kind of a mix of things because if you look at the game from a mechanic standpoint, there's actually not a ton of original aspects to it. It's kind of this mix of different mechanics that you you see in other games, but maybe not combined in the same game. And I'm fine with that because I th- I still think it kind of provides a really fun gameplay experience. I mm-hmm. think part of the what you're saying is there is what kind of environment do you see in Kickstarter, you know, and kind of yeah. the challenge of how do you stand out. It's 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 interesting because you both want to kind of do best practices and you also want to stand out from the crowd and. There's a couple things about Kickstarter that are challenging is that, yes, you see a lot of these huge minis games. And you also see a lot of these kind of small impulse buy games that are like nine bucks. Yeah. And I think it's actually quite challenging for a game that's kind of a medium weight game to exist in a Kickstarter environment. Because a lot of Kickstarter is about impulse. It's about the deluxe game. It's about 
kind of this over-the-top production value that you can't get in a retail store. And I think for us, it's always been about the gameplay and not so much about the components. And we're trying to kind of weave that narrative, that story of like, you know, we're here to make the best game we can and not, not overproduce, not, not underproduce, just do what we think is best. And um, hoping a lot of that kind of shows in the sense, in the sense that we don't have like 20 different pledge levels. We don't have tons of exclusives. Uh, our stretch goals are component only upgrades. Uh, yeah. all, the con- all the content that we intend on including the game is included from the very get go. You know, I didn't want to be playing games with our Kickstarter backers in terms of like, well, you might get this or you might not. And and the reality is maybe we intended on giving it to you from the very beginning, you know, that sort of thing. And, uh, the other mix. So that, that's, I think challenging, but also a little different. And I'm hoping that is enough to set us apart from some of the other projects, but the other component is kind of the art. And I think, you know, art really can sell your game, especially on Kickstarter, where a lot of the what people see is just your campaign page and they don't actually get to play your game, although they can because there's a print and play. But a lot of people won't go through that effort of trying it and they'll make their decision based off of kind of their initial impressions. And that's where art can go a long way. And you see a lot of the standard stuff like high fantasy, sci-fi space kind of games and from the very get-go, I wanted something a little different, something bright and something colorful, something that matches the kind of elegant and approachable mechanics of the game and kind of settle. And, and also, like, something that would make the theme of factories a little more enticing and more interesting. And so we settle on this kind of whimsical, fantastic color theme where the factories are just bright and cheery and it's something that you yeah, just, you don't very, see very often very happy it's yeah, a very ha- it's a very kind of happy and bright do you know what it is it's like if um if you had like a kid's character and it's like oh daddy's away to work and it's like and we'd actually follow daddy for the day and this is where they'd be working if they were working <laughs> at the factory kind of thing uh, i mean that's one of the things that um is very attractive about the game i see it's not, you know, high fantasy, fantastic, and there's some amazing kind of games out there that have some absolutely fantastic art. But again, when you see something like, say, like, you know, when you when you see the artwork on Fantastic Factories, it's striking enough and it's different enough to kind of like it turns your head. Mm-hmm. You go, oh, well, let's have a let's have a little bit of a look for that. Um. If people are looking to back, how much do they have to back in order to be a backer that backs? So the basic pledge level for one copy is $29 plus shipping. And uh, we're actually subsidizing uh, $6 of the shipping. So shipping to the U.S. is $6. Mm -hmm. And then shipping to the U.K. would be... Sorry, let me take a look real quick. Uh, I believe thirteen, $13. I think it's grouped into EU, even though... Um, yeah, yeah. I guess that may or may not be the case. Anyways, yeah, so $13, <laughs> $13 shipping to UK. So 
for the twenty nine dollars plus shipping. That's not an awful lot. I mean, in the in the grand scheme of things, where you see, I see. I guess one of the other things that's attractive to this is you do see a lot of games which are going, they're hitting the sub hundred and over the hundred dollars for a pledge, and for some people that's just a bit too, it's just a bit too rich, isn't it? You know, it's mm-hmm. pretty. It's a really, yeah. really, really, really kind of decent, kind of decent kind of price, kind of decent yeah. kind of price point. I think one of the things is we always wanted to be able to get the game into as many hands as possible, so we didn't yeah. want want something that was you know, cost prohibitive. No. I mean, and I think, you know, that's reflected in the fact that you're currently sitting at, um, and you're going to have to sort out your stretch goal graph- graphic because it's, um, you're missing a tick. Um, yeah. $31,000 one's gone. Mr. Yep. Chen, you need to get on that. You need to get on that. <laughs> that'll be my first task as soon as we're done recording. <laughs> But um, you're well, that, that set... and lunch, I guess. Yeah, that's a good. Yeah, because it's lunchtime. Um, you're at thirty thirty five thousand dollars. Well, you're almost thirty six thousand dollars. You've got about twenty nine days, probably about twenty eight, twenty seven days by the time this goes out. Um, it looks fun. It looks kind of like fantastic. And for the price you're looking for a backer, it definitely looks like you should be should be taking a a kind of a look into it. So um, yeah. Um, if people want to find out, or they've listened to long today and they've went, oh, let's find out a little bit more, um, about your good selves. Where can they find you on the internet webs, Mister Chen? So I think I'm probably most active on Twitter. So you can find me at Fan Factories, mm-hmm. and uh, also uh, on Facebook at fantastic factories and instagram as well and if you want to check out the campaign you can always look it up you know look up fantastic factories on kickstarter or go to the website fantasticfactories.com and it'll have a link there as well yeah and you've got some fantastic art on the on the website as well um thank you very much for coming on yeah thanks it's been a lot of fun i do have one more question for you though okay okay i have a feeling you know what it is. <laughs> you, you know you don't because I've changed it. All right. Oh, so didn't okay. All right, didn't, all right. No, the the results the same, but I've got to make it up for everybody that comes on and make it tailored to them. It's a bespoke question. Oh, okay. <laughs> not the question I was expecting. It probably is the question that you're expecting, but I'm trying to make it not look like I'm a tired old hack that just comes out with the same old nonsense again and again and again. You have visited. A board game factory. And you rock up to the board game factory and the managing director meets you and grips you strongly by the hand and says, you know, everybody that comes along because Fantastic Factories has done so well and we really want your business, we have the ultimate board game making machine. And the ultimate board game making machine can make any board game at all with any expansions on it and the managing director looks at you and says what would you like if you you can have we have enough cardboard and all the designs for every board game going and all you need to do is to press the button and we will make three board games for you any board games that you want what three board games would you have made for yourself Mr. Joseph Chen so these would be like 
games that any, are already out there published any, games anything at all any board games that are out there at all anything that you've coveted anything that you've wanted anything from first editions you can have it presses a button it'll automatically include all the expansions as well what games would you like that's a tough one well the first one that comes to mind is that suitcase azul have you heard about this one no see so like azul has this are you familiar with azul yeah yeah this like the ceramic tile Kind of yep. laying game, yeah, 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 yeah. But they, 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 they were showing off like this um, huge set that they use for like demos or conventions, and people are like, oh my god, you know, I, I've got to have that. You guys sell that, and then, then, they're like, oh maybe, and then they, they decide that they're gonna sell it for three hundred dollars. <laughs> okay. <laughs> At which point, people are like, actually, we don't want it. <laughs> no, we don't. No, you're fine. So Anyways, you, you'd want that one. Yeah, I, I think Azul's a really elegant game. Those tiles are really tactile and very satisfying. I imagine having a large version of it would even be that much more enticing. Okay. So, I like to call that's it Suitcase your, Azul. That's your first game. <laughs> What's your second one? Oh, man, second? So, that's challenging because, like, as I mentioned, like, I, you know, I'm, I've never been that much about the components of a game more about the gameplay and it doesn't let you off the hook all right all right all right <laughs> you know I, th- I think i'm sensing a trend here i kind of i'm very enticed by these massive size versions of games um and uh you know like I, i'm imagining uh Actually, I've I've thought about this like a a massive version of Fantastic Factories, where like the the instead of using cards for each of the factories, each card would actually be chipboard, and the dice slots on the, the cards instead of since it's not cards, they would actually be inset, and you actually set these massive like uh, I don't know like thirty millimeter dice under these chipboard card factories. Your tableau would probably take up like the the entirety of a table, so everyone would have to have their own table, I guess. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna let you away with that because it is a game. Obviously, your game's funded, so it will be getting made. But don't do it again for the third game. What's your third game, Joseph? And no cop out this time. No going for your own game that's about to get made. Third one. Let me think. Hmm. Any edition, any whatever. You know. I, that's the problem is I don't consider myself a collector in the sense that, you know, I have the need to collect something. But, uh, hmm. Any game at all. Any game at all. Any so game at all. I'm trying to think. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Third game. See, that's the problem when you have a small collection. But I think the game... Back to kind of the my party game roots, I guess. The um, that massive code names. Okay. <laughs> the giant box of code names. See, that seems to be the trend here. I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna stick with it. You know, massive games. You, massive this games. board Super game. Ma- board game. Games. Magic board game creating machine. I just want massive board games, right? Because these days you can get whatever you can. 
but the massive ones, those are. <laughs> have you seen the massive code names? It's like... I have not. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to take a look at this now and just see what all the all the kerfuffle is about. Massive so. games, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's that's that's how we roll in the US. You know, bigger is better. Yeah, I know. I've seen that. I've seen what you do with your bigger is better. Um, <laughs> if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, and um, you, you should. Here you go. You know, self promotion. Listen to us and like us. Please like us. Um, you can follow us on various different social media as well. We are on um, Twitter at We Are Not Wizards. We're on Facebook at We Are Not Wizards. We're on YouTube at We Are Not Wizards Tabletop Podcast. You can go to Instagram and you can find us there. You can find us on, we've got our own blog, which is We Are Not Wizards.blogspot.com. And we have just launched a scathing attack on Sean A. Person from Thing 12 Games and his absolute lie of a game, which is um, Seals of Cthulhu, which you should probably have a look at Fantastic Factories before <laughs> you look at Seals of Cthulhu. Because <laughs> after all, he is a big poo-poo head, as I said on Twitter just today. Not dating the show at all. You can find us on the various podcast catchers. So you can find us on Stitcher and Spreaker and Acast. You can go onto our website, which is wearenotwizards.com. You can email us magic at wearenotwizards.com you can also find us on Apple Podcasts, thank you very much for everybody who's been giving us some ratings and some reviews and some subscriptions because it is working and Apple has decided we're going to get another three days of sunshine so isn't that fantastic um, if you do want to give us a rating or a review, remember um, don't give us ten stars because as you can hear I'm getting quite big headed but don't give us one because that gives us, makes us cry and I'm still a very much an ugly crier. But give us five, because it's in the middle, and it's average. And we're just a little bit average. But the gentleman who has not been average tonight from Metafactory Games is the rather wonderful, the rather fantastic Mr. Joseph Z. Chen. Thank you very much, sir, for coming on. I really appreciate your time, and I wish you all the best of luck with the rest of the campaign. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun being on the show. Good, good. It's only two more things to do. The first thing is to remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Joseph? No, at least not today. Good. Well, not any day at all, Joseph. I can't <laughs> still edit this. Well, <laughs> you know, I don't know. You know, you never, you never know what the future might don't, be. You don't even... If that's your next game, I'm not going to be happy. Um... <laughs> And and the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from Joseph. Say goodbye, Joseph. All right, goodbye. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe. Roll sixes, maybe roll threes, maybe roll twos. It depends on what you need for your factory in order to produce the right goods or bring in the right workers and maybe train the right workers. Or maybe you want to bring in a worker that allows you to change your dice. But make sure you get the goods out the door because at the end of the day, points mean prizes and winning. And... Check out Fantastic Factories because it doesn't just look like a clever name. It does actually look quite fantastic. But until the next time, goodbye. Goodbye.